Happy holidays, friends. Welcome to Vital Core Salon. I am your host and salonier, Kara Martin-Snyder. I'm so grateful for those of you who are here in this wild time of year. If you're feeling like you're burning out from all of the holiday bullshit, and maybe just life in general, you are in the right time and space for a dose of inspiration and some totally doable ideas. Please allow my guest, international figure skating champion, May Berenice Maite from France, and me to offer you some sonic comfort and conversation. Also comforting is a good cup of tea, and I am obsessed with the cup in front of me. It's called Queen of Earl, that's the blend, and I stumbled on it when I was bopping around in Cape May, New Jersey, and walked into this beautiful store called Givens. I think the Instagram handle is Givens Circle, so check it out. I have seriously been rationing these 15 sachets of tea since this summer, and when I got to the last one, I don't know how I had missed it before, but it actually had the brand of tea on it from this place called Tea Salon. And so I googled it to see, can I get more of this without having to go all the way to Cape May, New Jersey? And it turns out Tea Salon is actually three miles away from my house. It's in Kingston, New York. And I emailed the owner to see if I could place an order and if she had this particular tea. And I was able to go meet Miriam, who owns it, and pick up like an enormous stash of Queen of Earl tea, which is basically Earl Grey tea with the molasses notes and so awesome. Anywho, I digress. Let's get back on task. Don't forget to share this podcast with one human being that pops into mind while you're listening to this episode. Also, text SALON, S-A-L-O-N, to 444-999 to have the podcast emailed directly to you one to two times a month. Hint, hint, you want to do this soon because there is a super special two-part mega mashup surprise episode for you coming in late December. Lastly, be prepared to hear... May Berenice Mete show up incredibly courageously during this episode when we talk about burnout. And for those of you who are regular listeners to this show, or even new to the show, you might see the tagline or the description of the show being about bullshit and burnout, and not having those two things slow us down. And that may sound like marketing shtick, but burnout is real. And I know some of you probably experience it at this time of year, but May and I are going to talk about burnout, the real burnout, that heavy sense of depression and anxiety that can be debilitating and really be something that we have to climb out of. I've experienced it on a personal level, and May definitely has experienced it and really is open about sharing it and some of the things that worked for her or what she thought about it so that we can all learn from her experience and and her perspective. Because if anyone can understand how much of an obstacle burnout can be to being able to get yourself into a flow state on the regular basis, something that is essential for figure skaters, we can learn a lot. Voila! 
Meet May Berenice Mayte. Bonjour, May. Welcome to Le Vital Corps Salon. Hi, bonjour. <laughs> I'll leave my French at that because it is really <laughs> rusty and horrible at this point. Oh, that's a good start. <laughs> You're kind. Thank you. So, May, I've given the listeners a little bit of an intro about who you are, but for those who may have missed that and we're getting settled into the podcast, you are an elite figure skater. And when I say elite, I mean like four-time national champion for France. I mean two-time Olympic competitor. <laughs> yes, that's. Uh, I think that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said it all. I'm a French figure skater. I've been twice to the Olympics, fifth at Europeans, tenth at Worlds, and um, four times national champions. And very proud to have the chance to represent France um, at the best and competition in the world. Whew. So that is a lot of cred. But I was thinking maybe we could back it up and start from the beginning. When did you first lace up those skates? Ha, that's a very good question. Um, I started very young, actually. I was five years old. And I went to the rink with my school, actually, and I really liked it. So when I was back home, I told my mom, hey, mom, she asked me, what do you want to do? Like, which sport do you want to do? And I told her figure skating. And she looked at me and <laughs> she was like, well, um, are you sure? Because um, this is ice and it's very cold. And I was like, yeah, I want to go figure skating. So she's like, okay, well... We'll take you to the rink and maybe in two months you'll be too cold and you'll change your mind. And um, 19 years later, I'm still here. So I guess I changed their mind. <laughs> <laughs> so why was the cold such an issue for your mom? Well, we're like they're from um, Ivory Coast and Congo. So those are very <laughs> sunny and tropical countries, I guess. And it's not very often that you see a little black girl going on the ice. So, and like, and her asking to go on the ice. So I don't know if it's a cultural thing or something. But yeah, I don't know. She was surprised, but she let me do it. Do you think there was a, an element as a mom? Because my husband has always played hockey. So my mother-in-law has definitely been a hockey mom growing up with three boys. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, as a mom, was she looking at you thinking, oh, no, I'm going to have to go to all these competitions, like, bundled in winter clothing all the time? Oh, not really, because they were in France, so the weather is not the same as in their original country, but I think she was just surprised <laughs> that I would ask for figure skating, like, she would have expected maybe track and field or something a little bit more common than figure skating. <laughs> that is amazing. So, I mean, to your point, were you kind of like a unicorn? Like, you're this little black girl with parents who grew up in the Ivory Coast <laughs> showing up at practice. What was that like for you? 
Well, not really, because the city I'm from in France, it's a lot of diversity. So actually at the rink, you can see people from literally everywhere. And that's the beauty of it because, and I didn't feel like a unicorn because we don't really look at your color or where you're from or where your parents are from. You're just here to have fun and enjoy and have a good time and enjoy the freedom of the, the rink and sliding and falling and getting up and jumping. So I guess it was more fun than just seeing me as the unicorn. Amazing. And does it always stay fun? And I, and I ask that question from a place of, I started gymnastics when I was three. My mom thought, you're an only child, like we should put you in to some sort of program where you're hanging out with other kids and not just adults all the time. Yeah. So at three, I started gymnastics. And I think it was like around 11. That was like when there was like that nudge to, are you going to get serious about this? Or are you just going to keep dabbling? <laughs> yeah what was that like for you did you have a moment like that from time to time you you have some moments like that you're asking yourself do I really like it do it do I want to keep doing this and then when you have some time off you realize that you really really miss it and you want to get back on the ice very soon so no I've always had fun even in the not-so-fun moments, afterwards, I was like, well, I got a good experience anyway, so that was fun. Got it. Because can you give us a taste of what a training schedule looks and feels like? Um, I'm training in the U.S. now, uh, in Tampa, and my schedule is like, we have three times a week some off-ice training which is um, a conditioning, a core training, reinforcement, everything that comes and help us run our program on the ice. But we do that those stuff off the ice. So we, we run, we do some quickness exercises, and we do that for like a good 30 minutes, but very intense, three times a week. Then I have some choreography that I do with my coach, one of my coach on the ice and one dance coach of the ice. So that takes about like, I would say four to five hours a week. And then we have the technical part that we have to work on the ice and off the ice. Off the ice, we do it twice a week for 30 minutes. And then on the ice, that's the biggest part. I guess we're on the ice for like... 10 hours doing jumps and pro and running programs. So that's how it looks like a little bit. Wow. So 10 hours a week just on the ice alone, plus all of this other, yeah, all of the other cross training to keep you healthy, keep your body stable. Yeah. So I have to ask a question that I feel like Every one of my clients who has ever complained about trying to fit any sort of exercise or movement in, what do you do on the days that you get up and you're just thinking, I don't want to get out of bed today. Like, I don't want to go to practice today. Well, I don't want to sometimes. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, let's see what I can get today. And especially the day I don't want to do it. Because sometimes it can happen at competition. You don't want to compete. 
but you still have to do it because you can say, oh, I'm not going to compete because I don't want to. So you just have to push your limits and put yourself together, put your mind into it and try to do your best because that's the only way you can improve and get better. So when you get to a competition and you're saying you feel like you're just having one of those days where you're like, I just don't want to compete. Is it, is it nerves? Is it mindset? Is it your body's just not feeling like it's where it should be that day? Like what generally makes one of those moments for you? Oh, it depends. Sometimes you are here without being here. And those are the worst moments ever. And the time on the ice feels so long. Because you can see yourself skate and not enjoying the performance and doing the worst thing you could ever imagine doing on the ice in front of all those people. So it can be frustrating, but sometimes you just don't feel your body at the right place. You don't have the right timing or you're a little bit tired or you don't have the energy. It depends. It can be different, but you always have to find a solution. I was just going to ask, is there any saving it when you feel that way and you feel like, oh, I'm two beats behind in the music or I'm three feet from where I should have landed? Is there any saving it like in those moments or is does that start like a chatter for you? Well, it depends. Um, I've been working on that, actually, and that's why I want to go to practice no matter what, because if this already happened to me at practice, then I know how to react. So then the whole program won't be a catastrophe, but instead I can save the rest of the program. So it's just some habits and the way you learn how to react to some not so good situations. How many times have you rehearsed a program roughly, just so people listening can get a sense of literally how much muscle memory is there? Oh, By the you, time you get to competition. I mean, is it 10 times, 100 times? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, more like 100 times. We have two programs, and we run them almost every day. So um, I would say once at least a day, if not twice. And then it's five days a week, sometimes six, sometimes seven, actually. So it's a lot. I can't give you a number, but at least a hundred times, if not more. Wow. So the muscle memory, by the time you get to a competition. Yeah, to the first competition. Like if I start from the moment we build the program around June to the first competition, which is usually in September during the whole summer. Okay. Maybe a hundred times is a lot, but like for the whole summer, I would say, a good 30, 35 programs run through. Whew. And like for the whole season, we're over 100, I guess. Because even when you're you're doing like your warm-ups and everything, like when most of us lay people are watching the Olympics, for example, you're running through your warm-up. That's like you're just running through the program again and running through the program again just to get used to where you are and the new space and making sure you have it down still. Well, when you see us doing the six minute warm up, we're not doing the programs. We're just doing elements of the programs. We're usually warming up the jumps 
And then what you see with the music, that's the program we're running. Got it. Before we do the competition, we actually have practices to get used to the rink. Got it. So you do have the time to just adjust to like the new space and anything that might throw you like in the periphery. Exactly. I am so impressed, May, with what you do because I am one of those people that I have like some sort of either brain cognition or who knows, maybe even genetic anomaly where there are two things that you can teach me like a hundred times and I will forget them the very next day. And one is (laughs) card games and the other is any coordinated sequence of events. I mean, like of like dance steps or anything like that. (laughs) It would take a lot of muscle memories, but I'm sure we can do something. (laughs) I literally cannot stop on skates. So also what you do is impressive from another direction as well. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So this kind of training, this kind of practice, like, when you were a little girl and you were a five-year-old skater, just kind of flying around the rink, did you ever picture that this is where you would be 19 years later? Oh, no. I was just having fun at the time. And yeah, I didn't really care about um, competition and everything. I was just going to the rink to have fun and learn new things and see the friends and that's it. When did it get serious? Um, I was getting better and better very quickly. So I could very, like very early, um, do some little competition, then bigger ones and bigger ones. And I get like hard jumps at a very young age. So that helped me. And I would say it got very serious around when I was around eight to nine years old. So that was quick for you. Yeah. Within like a few years, you were having to decide, because I imagine it just went from something you did kind of like after school or on weekends yeah, to then a more regimented training schedule, right? Yes. I was going to a regular school until I was maybe eight. Yeah, eight. And then I was going to a special school where in the morning we went to school and in the afternoon, no, yeah, and in the afternoon I could skate. Then it was, I was skating in the morning and then I was going to school in the afternoon. And then high school was the same and middle school too. Wow. So you had to really adjust your lifestyle very quickly. Yeah. What was that like for an eight-year-old? For me, it was the norm. I, I was just doing what I was asked to do. So I was trying to be good at school and, well, to go and enjoy skating and do my best at skating. So it wasn't too much of a hustle for me because I had fun at school and I had fun at skating and I could do both. So Amazing. And that's something that you've continued to this day, right? Yes, I am. Because you're also a part-time college student. Yes. I won't say it's easy, but (laughs) it's always nice to focus your mind on something else than skating. So, yeah. So how do you balance both? I mean, your training schedule, literally, I mean, even just when I'm quickly kind of adding up in terms of time, I mean, really adds up to a part-time job on a week that maybe you're not traveling 
or competing, right? And then I imagine when you're traveling and competing, that you're like all in that week. Yeah, that's um, when I'm traveling. It's the worst because uh, on the plane I don't really want to work, but then I'd rather sleep. But then I have to do my homeworks because of the deadlines. So this is kind of hard, but I try to make my schedule work so then I will be done with everything that I have to do before I have to fly out. And then I'll be a little bit more quiet when I'm at competition because I can't really think about any assignments when I'm competing. It it takes out too much energy. So I figure out some moments I can work in between two sessions of skating. Sometimes I have time. So I'll just go and do a little bit of my assignments or study a new lesson. And then whenever I'm home, I study. And then on the weekends, I study again. (laughs) (laughs) And what are you studying, May? Uh, I'm studying marketing and sales. What do you see in your future in a post-skating marketing sales capacity? Uh, I see a lot of things. I have plenty of ideas. I want to help the younger generation to have everything that they need outside of skating. So I want to create something like um, a place where they can come and we will follow them and provide them everything that they need outside of skating because you have to see that um, I'm also working with physical therapists Uh, somebody that helps me getting through my fears and when I don't feel good, when I feel anxious, I have someone to talk to and I'm working with actually two a person for that. Uh, I have a nutritionist that I'm working with, like so many people around skating and I think that's something missing kind of in France still. So I really want to build something like that. So having a little bit of knowledge about how the uh, company works and how to build your own company can help me bring that to life. Wow, because you're raising a a point that, I mean, I think I've thought of at some point or you see when you're watching competitions, there's always a coach there. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple coaches, a nutritionist, a physical trainer. Like, what does your dream team look like that help you get to be an elite skater? Well, right now, I have a dream team. Uh, Yay! That means you're supported. Yes. I always had, like, good teams before. Uh, But this one is my dream team because there are a lot of people working all together in a very dynamic and positive way to help me reach the goals I've set for myself. So I have... Two main coaches, one, um, she's a choreographer and um, she used to be a single skater. The other one was a pair skater and world medalist. Then we have a dance teacher off the ice. I have a sports psychologist in the U.S. and one in France. I have a nutritionist, physical therapist, um, chiropractor. And I think I've mentioned everything. Wow. So I'm hearing this list of your your dream team and I'm thinking, okay, you spend all this time literally physically doing the workouts, right? Whether it's the on-ice work, the off-ice work. Yeah. 
then I hear like you have all of these people around you. So I imagine there's also a ton of your time. I imagine there's there's strategy and appointment time, right? Like you're yes. not only seeing your coach for the 30 minutes that you're actually working out, right? No, we're working in groups most of the time, except when we're on the ice. On the ice, it's like single lessons, but um, the off-ice are in groups and we all have like, the pairs have their exercises and the single skaters have their specific exercises, but we're working all together at the same time. So it makes it easier for the coaches and for the athletes too. Got it. Got it. And then you have, I love that you have like all of this holistic stuff to support you as well. Like having a sports psychologist, both at home and when you're training here. Yeah. What do you think that adds to the process for you? That adds sometimes the little thing that was missing for me or any other athlete to do the performance they were looking for or to reach the goal they want they wanted to reach for so long and they help you understand yourself better and to grow from everything and every experience and to learn from everything and not to see the bad in everything because sometimes we're a little bit negative when it comes to ourselves and we can be hard on ourselves and they just teach us how to see things in a different ways. So May, this may be, I feel myself wrestling with myself about asking this question, because I think maybe it's obvious, but maybe it's not. And so when when anyone watching skating, mm-hmm. right, I feel like my stomach is on edge from like the moment any skater takes the ice yeah. with like this fear of like, oh my God, please don't let them fall. Cause I think like my heart will like jump up and out of my chest. Yes. That experience, is it as grueling for you as it is for people watching? I don't think it is because we are on the ice and we have kind of the control of what we're doing. Whereas you are watching us and you have no control whatsoever. So if something happens, happen, you're just like witnessing what's happening, but you can't do anything. And on the ice, we're like, okay, this happened. I need to put myself together and do better for the rest of the program. Or we can find solutions because we're active, but you are just looking at us. And that can be frustrating sometimes because you you want to help us. And sometimes you want to be with us on the ice and you can't. So I, I think that it's easier being an athlete than being a coach or a parent or a member of the audience. Thank you for answering that question. Because I... <laughs> I've always wondered that, like how the experience might be different. So really, when that happens, your brain just starts clicking for, okay, I need to be 10 feet from where I am or 10 meters from where I am, and I need to be in this position, and how fast can I get there? Like you're doing all those kinds of calculations in that moment. Well, not exactly like that, because that's way too much uh, thought for me, and I would get <laughs> lost. Uh, I know how my brain works and it it won't work for me. But I think most of us, we have some key points and key words. 
that help us before every jump or every element. And that's what we focus on. And the muscle memory helps too, because obviously if you've done that uh, like several times, your body knows what you're doing. And most of the time, well, I'll speak for me, but my brain sometimes is, is just off. I turn it off and I just let my body do the work because if I have my muscle memory and I have the confidence in my body and the work we've done, then I don't have to worry and think about too many things. And if something is wrong, I try not to go out of what I usually do. I try just to keep going with the pattern and everything that was built in the program. So then I won't get lost for the next element. Got it. So what I'm hearing is you're in some sort of flow state, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. Like your sense of time, your sense of, like you're not hearing things that are going on around you. You're, you are literally just in the flow state in those moments. And if I can hear things around me, then that's a bad sign. That's, that means I'm not really here and there in the moment. And sometimes that means the program might not be um, as good as I want it to. But when I'm in my world and I can feel the energy and the good vibe from the audience, but I, I can hear it, but I don't hear it. I, I don't know how to describe that, but it's a very um, unique feeling. And you just take the power and the energy and you put it out there in your program. And yeah, you float on the ice and you just let the body do it. So this is a probably like a million dollar question, I feel like. <laughs> and because I know a lot of the women listening, getting into that flow state, like being able to pull back from everything you have going on mm-hmm. and being able to achieve that flow state is something we're definitely learning more about as a culture, right? Like there are ways to hack that a little bit, like through meditation, even things like adult coloring. Mm-hmm. But what you're talking about is you're having to do that under intense pressure and circumstances, right? Like this isn't you're in your normal day-to-day routine, you're at home, you're eating your normal foods. Like, (laughs) you know, you're having to achieve this state under really in in a pressure cooker. Yeah. What helps you get there? Like what can women listening think about or maybe apply in a small way to get closer to being able to just get into that flow state? In those situations, we're all scared because we want to do great and we want to show our best side and we want to make our coaches and federations and parents proud. But in the end, I think um, we just have to have fun on the ice and enjoy every step every moment and just breathe in breathe out let's go and don't think twice and yeah there are some scary moments in life but if you don't enjoy it now when will you so I'm just like skate as if it was your last program and give your everything give your all and trust the work you've done because you're not working that hard every day not to trust yourself and not to enjoy yourself on the ice right now so that's what I tell myself and then we go 
So this is something you've mentioned a couple different ways, this notion of trusting the work that you've done. And then a few minutes ago, you also kind of mentioned trusting and and having that confidence in your body as well. Has that been a journey for you? Like, I, I hear those two things. And I think, you know, it seems like something easy to say, but hard to achieve. Right? Oh, yeah, it's very hard. Um, and I'm still working on that every day. But for the past four seasons, I had um, a knee injury, the right one, uh, a tear in my patella tendon. And that's my lending leg. So for a four season, I was skating uh, in pain every day. So that affected my confidence a lot. And you could see it on my skating, on my results. And I used to be a very um, fighter. And whenever, whatever the situation was, I was always ready to fight. But the past four season, I wasn't able to fight as much because I've lost all the confidence I had in myself because of that injury because I was scared to hurt myself more and the pain was was real and here all the time so I had to build up that confidence again and trust the work I was doing because then I was frustrated too because I didn't trust the work and I didn't trust my body. So then the results were bad or not the one I expected. And then I'm like, but I'm working. It's not that I'm not working. So I needed to understand how to make everything work in a good way. Because I imagine this is where like your body, your mind and your spirit have to be functioning together. Yes. How much of the injury was the knee itself versus all of the stuff around the knee injury? Like, if you had to quantify it, was it 50-50? Was it? I think the injury was, like, the biggest part. I would say 80-20. Well. At the beginning, probably, right? Like, when you're. It's hard to say because, well, the at the beginning of the week, I was good because the pain wasn't too bad, so I could be good. And the uh, on the intention and everything, I could give my a lot of me at practice because I could handle it. But then when the the pain was starting to get real bad, then that's when I started to be not good again. And when that point happened, I think my head was taking over the the injury. So I would say sometimes it was 80-20 then for the knee and then 80-20 for my head because I was like wow, I can I know I I'm in pain so there's no way I can I will be able to do this and then I was doing the craziest thing on the ice and I didn't know where it came from and I've never done that before so Um, I think it's a mix of both. So, like, as the knee began to heal, I mean, that had to be pretty scary for you, right? Like, your whole identity, starting at age five, is that you are an elite figure skater. You are a world-class athlete and an elite figure skater. I mean, what was that like when you were starting to feel the knee? Because 
Actually, let me back up. Was the knee injury, did you fall or was it something that kind of was progressing over time? No, it's ju- it was due to um, the charge of work, of the daily work. And um, it was um, a mix of uh, weight condition, like my weight. I need to uh, look for my weight so then my knee would feel better. Then I needed to strengthen up my legs so then that will help my knee too. So it was a mix of the low charge of practices, then the weight, and then the strength of everything that was around the knee. So it's a mix of everything. Got it. So this wasn't like a sudden shock of an injury. This was something that was just sort of increasing and becoming more problematic. Yeah. So how did that impact your identity, right? Because you were, I mean, you had been a competitive skater since age five. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It was hard, really. It was um, tough years because I had expectations and I really wanted to improve and I couldn't really. So it was very frustrating, very, very frustrating. And then I've seen some opportunities go away of me because um, I wasn't ready enough. And um, I missed some world's championship because of that, because I wasn't the, the best one. So it was hard. And at the same time, I've learned a lot and I could work on stuff I wasn't working on before. So it was a hidden blessing, I would say. Uh, it was hard at the moment because obviously when you're not having the results you're hoping for and the federation and everybody is hoping for, it's hard to for them and for yourself to trust in you and send you uh, to competitions. But then it forces you to work on your weaknesses and to work smart. Can you talk a little bit about some of the lessons and that idea of working smart? Like, what do you think the frazzled working professional women that are listening to this podcast could learn from you on those two things? Well, sometimes you hit a wall and at first you don't understand. You keep repeating like, why is this happening to me? And uh, what am I supposed to do now? And you don't really look for solutions. And then when you see that wall is still here, well, you have to find solutions if you want to go behind that walls. So that's what I did. I'm like, okay, what can I work while I have this, this pain? And what can I improve? And what should I improve to make my skating and my programs look better. So it it took a lot of time. I I did that in four seasons. Sometimes it's a very long process. Sometimes it's not going the way we want to. (laughs) Life is funny like that, right? Exactly. Sometimes (laughs) we think one way and then life shows you the other way. And you're like, well, that's not the one I want. But then in the end, the reward can be bigger and better. And I've grown up a lot, too, and I've learned a lot about myself and my limits and what I want and what I did not want anymore and how I wanted to work, too. And I used to be the kid that was always saying yes to everything, like, we should do this, 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 and I wasn't planning anything, really. 
and now I have a little bit more control over that part. I know what I want, not only for my goals, but daily and monthly. And I plan everything. I have um, a schedule. Like every week, I know when I have to do my laundry. I, ha I know when I have to clean, tidy up my room. Uh, I have my time for myself. I have time for my homeworks. I have time to enjoy and listen some to some relaxing music. Um, I have some times where I do absolutely nothing. Everything is planned out. So then I have a routine that keeps me on track and I know where I'm going. So... What I would say is sometimes you are facing very difficult situations, but it's not the end of the world if you don't give up and try to find good solutions. Nice. And I love your, because I am a total type A planning schedule kind of woman. Yeah. So I, I kind of dig that you're, you're such a planner and a scheduler as well. But what struck me in what you were talking about like, I think people listening would expect for you to be planning for skating and for the things around skating and for schoolwork. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you mentioned you also plan time for relaxation yes. and that you also plan time for doing absolutely nothing. Can you talk about those two things a little bit oh, more? You need those moments. Um, Amen. <laughs> oh, yeah, because when I was younger, I thought, like, I have to work hard, so hard all the time, every time, no rest time. And then I burned out, and I understood that that was not maybe the best way to do it. And instead, um, I tried to enjoy some time off. Of, sometimes it's off social media for, like, a month. I did that uh, last June. For one month, I was off every social media they were gone oh computer my phone my ipad from everything and that felt amazing <laughs> i rediscovered life and i was like wow that's i i have so much time i can do so much and that felt great and we, i think we need more of those moments especially nowadays with like all the the apps and the phones and everything. We just need to disconnect sometimes. Absolutely. And I feel like the burnout in my 20s salutes the burnout in you. Yeah. You know, I've, do you mind talking about that a little? Because oh, I, yeah. I think I have a fear that women listening just hear me as kind of like harping on self-care is important. It's important to take time off. But I, I think like hearing you describe like that you schedule in time to do absolutely nothing. Oh, yeah. Yet what we see you achieving externally, I think it's really important for people to understand what that looks like. And I think for people listening who haven't burned out mm -hmm. to get that message and start to understand yeah. it as well. So maybe can you talk a little bit about how you got to that place where you can feel comfortable and confident and that it's necessary to like to schedule absolutely nothing. Yes. Um, well, I had the burnout, I don't remember when, like around 18 or something. I want to please everyone and to make everyone happy and to help everybody, and that's good. But sometimes um, when you're an athlete, you have to be um, a little bit... You have to think about yourself first sometimes. 
And that's something I didn't know how to do before. And I still really don't know how to do it properly now. But I'm learning. So it's getting there. But um, when you burn out, you just... It's hard because you don't want to do anything. You're just tired. You want to... You just want to cry all day, and um, it's bad. And then to get out of there, uh, you have to, again, you have to find the solutions and understand what brought you there so then you won't make the mistake again and what are the solutions that you have. And one of the solutions I found for myself is that I need to take some time to breathe some, after competitions, um, after practices, um, after school, I need that time to just relax and uh, watch funny videos and to think about <laughs> something else or just to go for a walk, to go to the museum and uh, listen to some classical music and have fun uh, cleaning the house. I don't know, like do some crazy stuff that have nothing to do with being connected or um, having to focus to for uh, skating or for school or for to, to do something for somebody else. I just want, like, it's important to have some me time because then you will be more available and more open to the world and to people and then you'll see things more clearly and your mind will be, like... It's a everything. Like when you are more confident and you feel free and you're happy, then you see things differently around you, around your world, and then you don't want to be surrounded by negative people or negative things, and you attract positive things and or people with the same energy as you, and then you experience new. Um, relationships or friendships or anything and then it brings something new to you like it's a snowball effect yes and may thank you for for sharing that because i think you know i use the term burnout and i think sometimes people think i throw it around facetiously but i am someone who can completely relate to what you're talking about where it's not just a burnt out like I'm tired and you're feeling like this unusual or prolonged sense of fatigue, but there's often an anxiety or even depressed component that comes with it. So it really does feel like when you're in that state, that it feels really hopeless and can feel really dark and you don't even have the energy to, to dig out. So oh, you don't. Yeah. It's ter like, yeah. When you burn out, you, you're, you're depressed. Uh, you can have anxiety and then dark thoughts and you're questioning yourself and why is it worth it? And it, it's not something you want to experience. So it takes some me time. It's very important. Yeah, because it's like a fun house too. Like you start thinking about things, like you were kind of talking about how you can't see the positive in things and you can't see sometimes even the way out for a yeah. while. Like, mm -hmm. and it's, you lose like all sense of creativity. I know whenever I've had moments where I've dipped back into that level of anxiety and depression, as I've gotten older, like I've understood, I can see and feel myself slipping and I can yeah. catch it before it comes back. Mm -hmm. But 
that initial burnout for me in my 20s was was pretty dark and and gnarly and you can't do anything creative like you can't think creative no it's just not there yeah so it, it's you try, but it's not coming nothing is here like no yeah it's not as readily available as when you're yeah. feeling good or feeling yeah. in a good place or in a stable place yeah may it sounds like you know in in terms of what you learned about yourself like it you know, recognizing that there was a people-pleasing element and that you were going to have to start saying no or disappointing people. That is something to the type A women listening. And and sometimes even to me, less so now, because I've I've got a few years on you and some more practice. (laughs) But that is like kryptonite for type A women. Yeah. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. How did you learn to say no and what works for you um uh that's still a processing subject like it's in process um thank you for your honesty oh yeah i still i don't like to hurt people especially the one i care about and because i've used them to always say yes to everything when now I say no, they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, well, nothing. Um, I just have priorities and I just can't. Whereas before, even if the situation could put me in trouble, I will just fold myself in four and find a solution for the people to be good. And then if I was tired or exhausted or if, it wasn't convenient for me. I was like, it's okay. I, I want to help. But now I'm like, uh, if that's very an, an inconvenient situation for me, I try to learn how to politely decline the, the request or the offer. And it's very hard for me because I don't know how to express my feeling, especially when it's something I don't like. And I'm still trying to work that out. But... I'm I'm working on it. I can tell you from hundreds and if not thousands of hours of private conversation, you are not the only one feeling that challenge. Yeah. I feel like I've been doing like a PhD in how to say no to stuff like in the last like decade or so. I mean, I just I kind of geek out about this topic. Yeah. But it it's hard. There are still moments where I'm like, I really want to preserve this relationship with this person and I really care about this person, but I'm going to get my eight hours of sleep. I'm not going to sign up and do things so that I'm working from, you know, seven yeah. in the morning as soon as I open my eyes until like 11 o'clock at night when I go to bed. It's a challenge. And I appreciate you also talking about it from being in the process because I think sometimes women feel a lot of shame that they they can't put a nice bow around the situation yeah no uh, it's it's something hard so um I've learned how to to talk about it so then it will make it a little bit less hard and then step by step it will come eventually with with time and with practice it's like Muscle memory, I guess. It 
You're right. It just takes practice. And every time you tell someone no and they don't burst into flames or like turn into dust in front of you, we live to tell about it. Exactly. (laughs) And I would say something. If that person does not understand that you need that or you've made that decision for your own good, then maybe you don't need this person. And that's something I'm learning too. Sometimes there are some persons we really like or love and we want them in our lives. But then um, at some point, their mission, if I can say, in our lives are done and we just have to let it go. And sometimes let it go is the hardest for us too. So, Yes. I remember... Actually, one of the guests on this show brought it up, but it's a piece of advice I had gotten years and years ago, that some friends are with you for a reason and some are with you for a season. I'm sure yep. someone famous said that, but and I can't attribute it to who it is, but it, I think it's something to really keep in mind. Like Sometimes it's just a natural evolution of a relationship, right? Yes, that's true. May, I want to ask you another question, and I want to just make sure that I'm fully understanding what you were saying. When you were saying you you need to take time and breathe, yeah, are you saying that in a literal sense, like like meditation, yogic pranayama kind of place, or are you just talking like I need to breathe, like I need the space, I need to make the space to just be? Um, uh, both. Like sometimes I just take time to breathe and do some yoga or um, breathing exercises and sometimes um, I just need to be alone and to be in my corner and do my stuff and it's not that I don't like the people but I just don't want to talk to anyone and I just want to be by myself for a little while and then I'm good after I can come back and enjoy everybody's company but sometimes I just need to breathe um literally and then breathe by being by myself got it are there any favorite breathing techniques that you find work really well for you I like to try a little bit of everything and to challenge myself to and to try to uh, breathe the longest that I can or do some breathe in, breathe out at the same pace. And it depends of what I need at the moment. So you play with it. You're a, (laughs) I like your style. I feel the same way. I get, I get bored easily. (laughs) Yeah. So it's always fun to have something new. So then you're not like, you know, too much in a, in a routine. And I have to laugh because you also talked about, having fun cleaning the house. And I feel like one, that is something my mother would say. And two, (laughs) it makes me think of when I was a kid, I was always charged with washing the floors, the kitchen floor. And then we had a big like downstairs that that was a big tile floor that needed to get washed. Yeah. And I I have to laugh because as a music fan, I listen to so much different music. And a lot of that stems from having fun washing the floors because I would dig out like my mom's records and like go through them all and be like rocking out with a mop. How do you make house cleaning fun? Oh, well, music. <laughs> music is key. You cannot clean the house without some music. And oh, no. <laughs> I feel like 
um, Latino music, like reggaeton and salsa, bachata, all the songs like that. So I'm just dancing for like hours and I don't mind cleaning the house. <laughs> I like that you're having like a one woman dance party. Like, oh yeah. And at high speed too, I'm impressed. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it's like you go with the flow, you know? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. So wait, I have, speaking of music, yeah. one of the reasons I thought about reaching out to you and hoped you would answer my email was when I was watching you skate at the most recent Olympic Games, you were skating to Beyonce. Yes. How did that come to be? Um, a friend of mine for like the past four years told me, you are my queen bee. I can see you dance off the floor, off the ice, and you're amazing. You should skate to Beyonce. I was like, yeah, I like it. But at the time, I wasn't ready. And then I was like, for the Olympics, I want to have fun. And I don't care about what the people, the judges, and anybody would say. I just want to find a music that I'm going to like, and I'm going to have fun on, on it. And then I thought about that friend, and I was like, that's it. I found the program. I'm going to skate to Beyonce, and um, it will be what it will be, but at least I will have fun. And that's what happened. Whoa. And because it's fairly recent then that music can actually have lyrics as well, right? Yes. Since 2014. Got it. Do, do you have to work really hard to not just be belting out the lyrics while you were going through the program because I would find that incredibly hard not to. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to be careful with um, the lyrics we're using and how we're using them. So then the program won't look like exhibition programs, but it's always a fun process. Other noteworthy things about your performances during those Olympics you opted to wear kind of the figure skating equivalent of pants. Yes. And you also pulled off a costume change in really sparkling style. Yeah. <laughs> Where did the idea for both of those things come from? Well, the unitard is not the first time, actually, that I skate in a unitard. I did that at the 2014 Olympics, too. And I just love them. I feel comfortable in them, and it shows that we can be very feminine and as beautiful as the the girls in dresses on the ice uh, with unitards, and um, it doesn't take out the, the beauty of the sport, even if we're wearing unitards. So um, that's what I like about it, and for the... The costume change, that's an idea I had after the 2014 Olympics. And um, I told myself, I don't know what my program will be, but at the 2018 Olympics, I want a costume change. Now, my <laughs> issue was, the year before the Olympics, the other French girl, that is my the, the one uh, I'm competing against, she did a program with a costume change. The year before the Olympics... Oh, no. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, no, that's not good because I didn't tell anybody. So obviously, 
the first thing I thought was like knowing how people are, they'll say I just copied her for the costume change. So I wanted to give up the idea, but then I was like, that's the idea I had since 2014, and I really want to have fun. So I'm going to do it anyway. So I did it. Well, it was lovely, and it was an amazing surprise. But I have to ask, each one of these moves in their own right might be considered bold. Was that radical in the world of figure skating? Well, I don't know if it was radical. I would not say... I don't know. I just went with the flow and didn't think about the impact of what I was doing, actually. And I was actually surprised after uh, the programs with all the comments, like the very nice and positive comments from people from all around the world about those two costumes. So... It was, like, amazing. And what is it like to basically, for you, go to work, right? Because you're competing. That's sort of work for you right now. Yeah. And then get off the ice and get done with your job and then have the entire universe dissecting and judging and sometimes positively, but I imagine also sometimes negatively. Um, sometimes it can be hard, but actually I try not to look at the comments of people. Um, if it's not something constructive and if it's not said in a constructive way, then I am not wasting time anymore because I know I take things very personally. It's very close to my heart sometimes and I'm very sensitive So if I see something negative, um, I will keep thinking about it again and again and again. So I just protect myself and don't read those bad comments. And I take the critiques that will help me build something better. How do you create those boundaries for yourself? Because I feel like people listening, I definitely know and witness people that like cannot put down their phones. Like literally, like you're eating dinner, you're you're doing anything and like their phone is out and they're they're on it and cannot put it away. How do you protect yourself from that noise? There are some websites I don't go to, um Facebook, I don't re- usually read the comments under the videos when I'm not the one posting them. On YouTube, I don't read the comments. Uh, they have some special uh, figure skating fan pages. I don't go to those. You know where to go and where not to go. It's like it's um, on a lower scale, but it's like the celebrities from Hollywood. Of course. If they go and buy all the gossip magazines, um, I'm not sure they will be sane today. So they just have to avoid all this, but it's harder for them because obviously they're known, like they're known. Yeah. So they can be attacked even on their own pages and everything, which happens to us too, but not as often as they have to face it. But you just have to put some walls and not pay attention to those people. 
And it sounds like, I mean, just even carving out, like, you know where you can hang out. So it's not like you've had to totally put your phone away and like kind of live like a hermit. You're still out functioning in the world. You're living your life. But you know, I don't need to go to this. It's yeah. sort of like picking a restaurant, right? I don't need to go to that restaurant. Exactly. <laughs> There's nothing for me there. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm like, why am I going to put myself in that much pain when I know I don't want to see that? So let's not go and I'll be fine. When you were talking earlier about potential ideas or kind of where you're, you're moving towards in terms of a post-skating career. Mm-hmm. I mean, are these the kinds of things that you want to build supporting structure for younger skaters around? Yeah. Um, they need to learn how to protect themselves. Um, um, yeah, that's very important, actually, because that can play directly and that can affect them on their training and then on their the way they compete. And then they that can destroy them, too, because people are mean. And that's a serious issue that we have to talk about. Yeah, I've I've had and this is just a tiny taste like just this really dumb experience where someone caught me like in the background of a picture and I had forgotten my glasses and my face was all scrunched up and I kind of looked like I had resting bitch face, which <laughs> I naturally do. I'm a I'm a fairly serious person when I'm deep in thought on something and I'm I don't care what my expressions. I'm I'm reading something and I'm I'm locked onto it. And I got caught in the background of this picture. And then it was weird on Facebook because someone recognized me and tagged me. And then I couldn't post on the post. But I was just watching a bunch of women just pig pile on, like, what a mean person I was and what a terrible person I was. And look at her. She looks like a bitch. Like, I I couldn't do anything to stop the comments or speak up, but I was just watching the pig pile happen. And I remember thinking, like, I don't know how people who, like, politicians, figure skaters, celebrities of any sort, like, how their brain wouldn't get completely scrambled in, like, a week from this. You have to have a strong um, support system around you. Um, That's the only way. You can go through that and not go insane, really. Because, yeah, it's crazy how um, mean people can be sometimes. How have these experiences changed you in a positive way? Because I get the idea just from this conversation. You are someone who's like, okay, I bumped up against this obstacle Maybe you have to sort of like, you know, rub your wounds and gather your energy again. But then you get up and you're like, all right, what's the good that I can take from this? What's the lesson I can take from this? Yeah. So when you think about this particular experience that I think what you're describing, I mean, it's happening to you out in the spotlight, but I think it's also happening to, you know, 12 year old girls mm-hmm. like in school these days it's becoming a pervasive problem what are lessons that we can learn from your experience and your perspective well if i have to speak to a younger audience um i would say well 
I went to middle school and high school, and you always like to have good grades. And when you study hard and you go, you're very, you're pretty confident. And then you get your mark and you're not happy with your mark. That can be a disappointment. So what is the next thing you're going to do? Are you going to give up or try to cry a little bit, be mad at your mark, and then work harder so then next time you will have a better grade and you will be proud of the work and the effort you put because you've learned from your mistakes you've done the, the previous time. So it's like this and your life will be like this and... It's not easy, I will, because life is not easy, but then you just have to see the, the next opportunity in every hard situation you're facing. Where do you think that will or that spirit for you to pick yourself up and, and fight again comes from? My parents are my biggest motivation. They are always here and always supportive They were good at school, so that was my first motivation, um, being as good as my parents, if not better, at school, because they were amazing, and I was proud of that, so I wanted to make them proud, too. So I wanted to get good grades at school, and now I want to have a good degree and build something, and I want to be successful so then I can not repay them, but like offer them everything that they need for the rest of their lives and I don't want them to worry about anything else but to just enjoy, relax and breathe in, breathe out, have some good time and that's it. And I guess my will and motivation come from that. I want to make them proud and happy. Well, it sounds like they have raised an amazing woman who... I can't wait to continue following your career and, and what you're doing, May. Well, thank you. Before you leave Le Vital Corps Salon, I have one more question for you. And I know we bounced around and we, we talked about a lot of different things. What do you most want Le Vital Corps Salon listeners to know or to take away from our conversation today? Life is, a, is an amazing journey. And sometimes you will have to do concessions like... Um, you'll have to make hard decisions in your life. And sometimes it means you have to choose between um, going out with a friend or study to graduate. And sometimes it's hard, but in the end, you know why you are doing that and what's your goal. So never lose sight of your goal. Never give up. Follow your heart and your dreams and dream big dream big. Yes. I think that's something everyone can stand to hear more and more and more and more. Sometimes we forget. Yes. We have to dream big. May, thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for bringing your spunk and your fire to what you're doing. And we all get to watch and, and see you in action. And I think such cool things are going to unfold for you. And thank you for sharing that experience and sharing the wisdom that you've collected and letting us all learn from it. 
Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for your time. And um, I'm very grateful for that experience with you at the Vital Car Salon today. And really, thank you. I hope I would be able to help at least one woman or one, even men. I don't know. Uh, but there, least, there are a few listening. Yeah. So <laughs> if I can help at least one person, that will make my day. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. Oh, thank you, May. Hey, this is Kara again. Thank you so much for listening to May and I talk about burnout and so many other things in this episode. I wanted to remind you I've placed links to all the ways that you can follow May online over in the show notes at levitalcoursalon.com. So if you dug this episode with May or want to thank her for her contribution or just follow her amazing figure skating, please head over to the show notes and show May some love. And if you dig this podcast, please show your support by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and sharing this episode with one person that came to mind. And if you want to be reminded of future episodes by email, you can text the word SALON, S-A-L-O-N, to 444-999, and in like 15 seconds or less, you will be on the email list and being notified one to two months of when a new episode is up. Not only am I grateful to May for being here, but I want to give a big merci beaucoup to... Craig Snyder for producing this episode, Darlene Victoria for being my gal Friday and my right hand with this podcast, and Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing the awesome theme song, and the High Dials for performing it. Thank you all. You all contribute so much to this show all of the time. And most importantly, especially during this holiday season, You deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you.